You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, take your Bible if you would, guys, and turn with me to the book of Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4, and I do have to give Frank a shout out, man. It is so good to see you. You are a sight for sore eyes, my friend, so it's good to see you. I'm glad that, you know, you're alive and kicking. Juanita hasn't killed you finally, so she, you're doing all right, huh? <laughs> Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> a wise man, <laughs> very wise man. Young husbands in the room, listen to his wisdom right there. <laughs> Ruth chapter 4, guys. It's fitting that uh, with next week being Easter, that we talk uh, in such a focus of the resurrection, it's fitting that we focus on Jesus' crucifixion and his redemption. And I truly didn't plan it out this way, but it just works so well with chapter 4. We've been unpacking the story of Ruth, and we're going to finish it this morning. And it's really a story of, of redemption. It's a story that we will see of Boaz as he redeems not just the lamb, but redeems Ruth as her kinsman redeemer. And we'll talk a little bit about that. In fact, uh, we're going to see this morning, there's three redeemers we're going to talk about. We know Jesus is our redeemer, but if you know the story of Ruth, you might be surprised. There's actually two redeemers in the book of Ruth, not just one. But the Bible is all about redemption. Redemption is, is Jesus paying the price for our sins. The book of Psalm alone talk, uh, mentions redemption 50 times. 15 times here in the book of Ruth, it talks about redemption. Listen to what some of these verses say about redemption. In Galatians chapter 3.13, the Bible says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He bought us back from that curse, the death of the law. Galatians 4 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption of the sons. We enjoy a relationship with God in heaven. He's adopted us into his family, and it's possible because of redemption, that verse says. And verse uh, Titus chapter 2 says this, of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself, for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus redeems us from all lawlessness with a goal to purify our lives, to change us and to make us a people who are for good works. Isaiah 44 says this, I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Psalm 34 says, The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge, refuge in him will be condemned. Psalm 78 says, They remembered that their God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer. The fact that we have a God in heaven who redeems us, that he saves us from our sins, but he has bought us back. Redemption is freedom paid with a price. It's God freeing us, but him paying the price tag of that redemption that we get to enjoy for the rest of our lives 
and for all of eternity. Make no mistake, as our title screen says, Ruth's Redemption, this little book is a picture of the redemption that God brings us ultimately through his son Jesus. So kind of read with me in, in chapter 4. You remember the story that we ended last week, that, that Ruth had, had outed herself. She basically proposed to Boaz in the middle of the night and said, spread your wings over me. Spread your wings over your servant. She had come into the people of Israel from a, another land and another people separated from God who were worshiping idols and completely cut off from the people of God. And she chose the hard path. She chose to cast herself onto the mercies of God, even being an outcast among his people. And as she revealed herself to Boaz, Boaz said, you go home and I'm going to take care of business. So we pick up the story Presumably later that day, sun's up, Ruth went back home, and Boaz is into town, has gone into town to take care of business. If you remember that story, there was he is the next one in line in the family that had the responsibility to marry her and to redeem the land. But he said, there's one that's closer to me, closer to you than me. He's first in line, and i got to talk to him first. So look with me in chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says this. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate... And he sat down there. He went to the gate to transact business. And in that time and that age, they didn't have like a common courtyard or a common green. The gate, the place where most people came and went in and out of the city, was if you needed to meet somebody, you couldn't call them on the phone, you didn't text them, you didn't send out carrier pigeon. You went to the gate and you were patient and you waited and you waited. And over time, the gate became the place where judgments were settled. If you needed to go to court, if you needed something to happen, that's where business was handled. Then it became in time, they didn't have circuit riding judges. They didn't have court appointed judges or anything like that. Basically, the respected elders of the city would come and would bear witness and participate in working out and resolving that. So Boaz goes and sets himself in the gate goes to court, if you will, ready to meet the other potential redeemer to hash things out to see what's going to happen. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. The friend, the other person would have known, there's official business. I have no idea what Boaz wants. Maybe his servants got in a fight with my servants. Maybe he's wanting to swap land. Maybe he's got a donkey he wants to sell. But he knew he was meaning business, that they were about to enter into some sort of official transaction. And so he sat down. And then he, talking about Boaz, said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders, my people. If you will redeem it, then redeem it. But if not, if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there's no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. Hey, she's selling the property. 
And in the Jewish law, as God had set up, when the husband passed away and there were no sons to be heirs, there was nothing passing on, God wanted the family line to continue, then the, the law stated that the next closest relative, maybe his, the, the husband who had died, had passed away, maybe it would be his brother. If not his brother, maybe his uncle or his nephew. But it would start with the closest and kind of work down the line. It was his responsibility, his opportunity to purchase the land and, uh, and to marry the widow ultimately, and their firstborn would then become legally the heir of the deceased relative, and the other sons or the other children that came after that first one would be his own heirs. So there's quite the family entanglement. Aren't we glad we do not have to do that today, that we live in different times? So Boaz said to the guy, hey, if you want to buy it, this is coming up. It's time for you. You're first in line to redeem it, then redeem it. But if not, then I'm going to step in and do it. So the man said to him, I will redeem it. And in verse 5, Boaz said, he was, he was smart. He didn't just come out like he just like, hey, do you want this piece of land? You know, and God's like, oh, yeah, I'll take it. But then he kind of drops the other shoe. You'll see literally in a minute. He, uh, Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I, I, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Here, take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. He got cold feet. He said, uh, uh, that's not going to work well for me. He said, I, I, he wasn't married, but somehow entangling the land and family that he was thinking, wait a minute, then my heirs, if, if I'm raising up an heir to this woman that I don't know well and giving of myself to her and I'm going to have a kid with her, then he's going to take some of my other, yeah, I'm backing up. I'm not doing this deal at all. Boaz, and at that point, we're not reading the rest of the story, does something very interesting. He takes off his shoe and he hands it to the guy as a way of kind of sealing the contract. Today, wouldn't it be easier to do that? Just video record this? Like, hey, I took my shoe off. Like, here's the proof. We, don't, we need attorneys and formal filings and all of that. And like, why the shoe thing? There was a time if you were selling land, that the other person would walk around that land as a way of proving that they took ownership of it. And they finally got smart and like, that takes a long time and it's hot. Can I just give you like my shoe, like just like instead of that? And so it just kind of became a thing, if you will. All right. So the deal was done and Boaz redeems Ruth and everybody knows about it, knows she's a worthy woman and he goes and, and he marries her. That's the earthly redeemer, but it's a picture of our heavenly redeemer, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth. As we talked about for the Thursday nights this winter about how all the Bible is about Jesus from beginning to end, that God in so many different ways and different fashions is picturing and telling us about redemption and our salvation, reminding us of how helpless and hopeless we are, but never fear that he will step in and he will save us and, and redeem us. And Ruth is a beautiful picture, not just a love story between two people. It's not just a story about God invisibly providing for those who turn to him, but it's God invisibly providing his salvation and redeeming your soul and my soul back out of hell, out of death through his son, Jesus. You see, we are in the shoes of Ruth. 
We were born separated from God. We were born completely apart from Him. Our sins have completely condemned us. Our wrongs and our heart and our soul, the Bible says that our minds are darkened. In fact, the Bible says that all we like sheep have gone astray. That we've each one turned our own way. We've wandered off from God. That all, we are all sinners, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says. So we are in our heart, our motivations, our, our heart, our morals, our minds, every part of our being is tainted and condemned spiritually. And we're cut off without any future, without any provision of our life spiritually and ultimately anything for our life eternally separated from God. We are just like Ruth in that world. But then, like Boaz, Jesus comes along. He is our kinsman redeemer. He's our near relative. You see, Jesus had to be born to Mary, born to a virgin woman who God who supernaturally got Mary pregnant so that Jesus was born as a human being and born as a man. And as he became the God-man, Jesus became our relative. He became physical flesh and blood. He became with all of the, the temptations and challenges and struggles that we have. He got tired. He needed to rest. He got hungry. All of those things. Yet, the Bible says, without sin. You see, Boaz was that near relative, close to the, the family, Ruth's mother-in-law, close to that that, that bloodline, and our Lord Jesus stepped into our world, became human, took on human flesh to live among us so that he would be eligible to save us. When we walked through the Old Testament, we saw over and over again how there were many heroes that God had raised up all along to deliver his people, but everyone ultimately failed and could not deliver the full deliverance, not couldn't bring the full deliverance, the full redemption that you and that I need. And they were all, every one of them was a picture ultimately of what Jesus would do, but Jesus came and only he could bring that full redemption. And just like Boaz, as Boaz entered into the courtroom to do business with this other unnamed potential redeemer, Jesus Christ, our Lord, entered into the courtroom. He entered into the courtroom of the Sanhedrin initially. The Jewish leaders and condemned him falsely. They dragged him before Pilate. And as Jesus stood before Pilate, interrogating him, it was a time where when you, if you ever stood as a Jew before Pilate, it was a bad day. You were, you were in deep trouble regardless of what the outcome was going to be. And as Pilate interrogated Jesus, the leader of the, of the, the, the whole province or that whole uh, region of Jerusalem, he was shocked because Jesus kept his mouth shut. If you and I were on trial, wouldn't we be chattering? I'm innocent. I didn't do anything. You know, and Jesus just sat there calmly. And Pilate said, you, you don't answer me anything? You know I have authority to release you. I have authority to crucify you. And Jesus said, you have no authority except what was given to you from above. You see, as Jesus stood in the courtroom of Pilate, spiritually, he knew he was standing in the courtroom of 
God the Father, that he entered in to our judgment, that you and I were on trial, condemned for all of our wrong, and Jesus voluntarily stood there in that courtroom and took the sentence that you and I deserved, the sentence that you and I already had on our heads. And Jesus stepped into our shoes and took the, the judge's sentence of death and crucifixion so that you and I could be freed. And he willingly paid the price. We don't know what price Boaz paid for this property and how that all worked. It's really incidental or God would have told us. doesn't matter. But the, we know the price tag of what Jesus paid. It was his own blood that by the shedding of his blood that we receive the, the remission of our sins, the sending away of our sins, the redemption, the freedom that God brings through us. And in the process, you see, Boaz wasn't worried about what it would look like and what would happen to his inheritance and all of the results afterwards. The guy in front of him did. He's like, well, wait a minute. I don't like all those entanglements and where that's all headed. Jesus, just the same way, didn't care. You see, the Bible says in Philippians 2 that even though he was in the form of God, he was in the very expression God himself. He didn't feel like it was something to be held on to, but he emptied himself of that glory, and he stepped down into this world and became a human being. And being in a human being, he became a servant. And he became not only a servant, but he experienced death. And not only did he experience death, each one of these is a little stair step down from the glory that Jesus experienced for all of eternity as, as the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And each step of the way in that incarnation and in his life on this earth, the Bible says that ultimately he not only died, but he died on the cross. He died as a criminal, not worried about his reputation, not worried about how it would reflect on him, not worried about the impact of his own life. I don't understand how Jesus not only just willingly took for those 33 years he lived and walked on this earth, a human form to lower himself into that, but for all of eternity will live in a bodily form. All of eternity carry the scars of the crucifixion. All of eternity taken upon himself the condemnation that you and I had earned. But he willingly... The other guy wasn't willing, but Jesus willingly and gladly did it because he loved us, because he still loves us. The Bible says as, the, as the, the, we are as the church, the followers of Jesus, as the church are the, the bride of Christ and as our groom, that his job was to sacrifice himself for us. And it's a picture of what every husband is to do lovingly sacrificing himself for the good of his wife. You see, Jesus loved us deeply and committed himself to us in that exact same way. You see, guys, this Easter season, as we today being Palm Sunday, we should remember that our Lord loves us. That every day, that no matter what is going on in our life, that the God of heaven has stepped into our world and did the unthinkable and not just made possible our salvation, but he redeemed us. He bought us and scooped us up 
And he saved us. And he loves us today just as much as he did yesterday. And he's going to love us tomorrow just as much as he does today. That we are a loved people, cared for. That he brings us under his wing just like he did Ruth. And he commits himself to us in closeness and relationship with him, providing and protecting and caring and guiding and nurturing and all of the things that our souls deeply crave. That our Lord today does that in each of our lives as we follow him and as we know him. And he, he blesses us unbelievably. See, the blessings that flow out of this step for Boaz is pretty amazing. There's a second redeemer in this story. Look at what verse 13 says. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, which the writer of Ruth, we don't know who wrote it, is amazed by that. Remember, she had been married to Malon for 10 years and didn't have any children. And now God supernaturally reached down and gave her birth. By the way, every child born is an act of God. Every conception is holy, and that life inside the womb is precious and pure and valuable, and we should never, ever dare think otherwise, regardless of what New York state law, regardless of what the world around us tries to say and act, that God blessed her and gave her that, that life with inside of her womb, that child from day one. And then in verse 14, the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who's more to you than seven sons, has given birth to Him. You know, Ruth's redeemer was Boaz. But you know who Naomi's redeemer was? Her grandson, Obed. Remember, Naomi came home. She told all her friends, don't call me Naomi, lovely and pleasant. Call me Mara, bitter. And all of Naomi's groupies, her Facebook friends, everybody said, oh, this is wonderful. You're a grandmother. God has taken away the judgment and the bitterness. And he's going to be a nurturer in your old age. He's going to be a restorer of life that, that God in heaven is redeeming even you in the middle of this. That you now have this grandchild that is, is brought, bringing and has brought blessing back into your life and joy. See, even Obed, who we, later on, and just we're not going to read it, but we discover is the great-grandfather, grandfather, great-grandfather, I have to look at it again, of of David, so Obed, and then and then it goes on down to, to Jesse, and then David himself becomes king of Israel. You see, the picture is this, guys. When God redeems us, He saves us. He, he buys us out of sin. He, he redeems us out of sin, the consequences of sin, the results of sin. And He blesses us in life, our whole life now. You see, when the Bible says that Jesus redeems us, he doesn't just redeem us from eternal consequences, condemnation that we all had earned. Oh, he does that. But the Bible says that he redeems us from the sin itself, that not just the consequences of sin. You know, it's not that Jesus says, okay, I know you're going to keep doing everything the same way you always have, but at least you're not going to get in trouble for it. 
He says, oh, you're not going to get in trouble for it. You're now off the hook. But by the way, you're not stuck doing that anymore. You now, by the way, are free. You now have a, a way out. You now have the ability to live your life the way that I intended it to be, not sold into sin, not completely condemned and attacked and carried that burden. We, we do know that sin is a heavy burden, right? Have you, you have felt that weight in your life, have you not? When you've stepped into that world, maybe... You, you began to lie about something and then it got bigger and bigger and you had to keep it and play that part and act that part and the pressure mounted. Maybe you weren't faithful at work and you began hiding or manipulating and, and the weight that begins to come in. Maybe in your relationships you haven't in your past acted with integrity and every day you wake up with that pressure and that burden. And our lives live like that. And we stack the sins on top of one another. And over time, guys, it's a crushing weight. Jesus doesn't just forgive us of the consequences of that. He redeems us and pulls that stuff off and breaks the power of that. And he frees us. And ultimately, he even frees us of the results of that sin. You see, sin is corrosive to our souls. It's toxic to our, our nature. It, it, it erodes away and it eats at us. But God, when he forgives us and through the redemption of Jesus Christ, begins to bring healing back into our lives. And we begin to live again. That's what that... What, the ladies were telling Naomi, is like, oh, you're now a nurturer of life. The healing is beginning to come back into you. Like God has redeemed you. You see, folks, Jesus is an amazing redeemer. And that God wants us this morning to remember that and to reflect on how he's redeemed us out of all of that. And he's changed our lives in the process. So with that... We ought to trust Him as our Redeemer, shouldn't we? You see, what I want us to know about this morning, I should have told you up front, I was a bad writer, bad presenter, but I want us to know why, I want to demonstrate why we should believe in our Redeemer, Jesus. Jesus is clearly our Redeemer, and the blessing of what He does in our life, that He the freedom that He gives us of all the wrongs and mistakes and the junk we've made, it's the best deal anywhere, and we ought to do it. But I want to tell you why we should believe him. Certainly for all of those reasons, but, but why can we trust him? Have you ever thought about trust? Have you ever thought about why you trust one person versus another person? One place of business versus another? There's, there's three elements to trust. There's three reasons of why we tend to trust people. There might be four. You might have a fourth one. I don't know, but I, there's at least three that I know. One of them is based on character. When somebody demonstrates a trustworthy character, they tell the truth, they're a person of integrity, they're honest, they're dependable, they show themselves to who they are, they don't have ulterior motives, they are people of character. 
When you go to get your car repaired, do you want to go to a place that you can't trust? Do you want to go to a garage to say, I don't know if I can trust these guys. Maybe I need a new muffler. Maybe not. Maybe my catalytic converter is fine. Maybe not. You, you will avoid those places like the plague, right? As soon as a business begins to lose the trust, I mean, that just, as soon as they start getting thumbs down, you know, dislikes or whatever, people avoid them. And it starts with character. Then it goes to a competence. Well, you want to take your car to a place that you can trust, but you also want to take your car to a place that you can know you can trust but can fix it. What good is it if you take your car and it's breaking and it's got a problem and it's making all kinds of noise or whatever and you don't know what's going on with it? What good is it if they're trustworthy people but they can't fix it? You could bring your car to my house and I think I'm trustworthy, but I don't have a clue about cars. I couldn't fix it. I don't have a competence to be able to do it. And then the third reason why you and I trust is people who care. It's one thing that they're trustworthy, they have character. It's another thing that they're good at what they do. And, but will they take time and will they really care and they really care for me? You want to take your car to a place that, well, they're responsible, trustworthy, and they can definitely fix it, but my car's been sitting there for a week and I guess they really don't care. They're too busy fixing other things. When you and I... See, people like that, we trust them in all kinds of life. In fact, when you're looking at marrying somebody, whether consciously or unconsciously, besides the butterflies and all the kind of stuff that goes through your head and your, your, your emotions and all of that, you're looking somebody of character that you can trust. Somebody's going to be a competent, like treat you well, that you can live life person with, right? And somebody that's going to care for you. Those are three non-negotiables. You see, Jesus meets all of those. There's no one in this world with more character than our Lord Jesus as the Son of God, who is perfect in every way, who never told a lie, completely 100% dependable. When the Bible said, when Jesus says something, it sticks and it stays. Top in Mark's of character. Is he able to redeem you? Is he competent to be your savior? All day long. All day long he died on the cross. All day long he lived this world without sin, was subjected to everything possible, every temptation that you and I have ever faced, and then some. See, there's some temptations I face you don't, some temptations you face that I don't, and collectively he faced all of ours tempted more than anybody that's ever walked this planet, and yet did so, the Bible says, without sin, and was competent, was able, eligible to die on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin. That our lives were spiritually bankrupt, insufficient funds, and Jesus came and paid all that we owed. And then we know that he cares. That he loved us to the point that he demonstrated it on the cross and sacrificed for us. I say that to say this. Most of you this morning have already trusted Jesus. You've, you're so far past that that you've probably not thought about where you were with trusting Him and not trusting Him and how you took that journey of faith. But see, you have friends and family that are still struggling in that world. 
And a lot of times people struggle. They're like, I just don't know if I can trust him. And what I just said to you is that Jesus means more than anyone that you will ever think about trusting, more than any mechanic, more than any contractor, more than getting your hair cut and done, getting your hair colored, my case, getting it implanted and put in. You can trust him more than all of that. And then sometimes people say, well, I just can't trust in Jesus. I want you to realize is that not trusting isn't an option. Everybody's going to trust. Everybody's going to trust something. See, a lot of times people, and you may be one of these people, thinking, well, I'm just going to hang around. I'm just, I don't know if I'm really ready to kind of go all in with Jesus and trust him. I want you to realize you don't have an option and that you're actually trusting right now. Think about it this way. When your car breaks down, maybe it's hitting that stage of life where it repeatedly breaks down. You have maybe three or four options. You can trust the original engineering and the original mechanics and just like, I hope it continues. I'm just going to keep driving it. I hope I don't get stranded on the way to work. I hope it doesn't leave me high and dry. You're trusting the car as it sits. Or you finally say, this is dumb. I'm not going to trust it anymore. I'm going to get rid of it, and I'm going to put my trust in a new car or another car. You're going to trust something. Or you might say, this car is having trouble, but I'm going to trust me that I can fix it and keep it going and take care of it. Or you're going to say, car's probably worth it. I'm going to trust somebody else to fix it and keep it going. But bottom line, you're going to trust somebody. See, not trusting somebody is not an option. You're going to trust something. You're going to trust either somebody else or you're going to trust yourself with this. When it comes to your soul and my soul, our soul is broken. Our mind is corrupt. We are spiritually bankrupt. We are that car broken down on the side of the road spiritually before God with the steam coming out of the hood and we're on the phone like, I need help and I can't do anything about it. And spiritually, every person is trusting something. So many were like, well, I can't believe in faith. I can't see it. I'm like, you're trusting. Even the atheist has tremendous faith. Nobody can prove the non-existence of God. If it were possible, it would have been done already. And they're just trusting that there is no God. Even though they can't fully prove it, they have faith and trust that. For me, I think it's a lot easier to have faith and trust in a God who's always been here than to trust that somehow all of this stuff came into being by itself. That it just became self-existent. I would rather, it makes a whole lot more sense to look at this world and to look at all of the elements and to say, well, if all of these elements existed, if matter existed for forever, I have a hard time understanding that. Some people say, well, I can't get my mind wrapped around God. Where'd he come from? Well, he's always been here. Well, see, I have trouble with that. Well, wait a minute. Take God out of the picture. Where'd all this other stuff come from? Was there just literally vacuum of nothing anywhere and all of a sudden, poof, things self-existed? Like, it's a whole lot easier to believe God self-exists and it doesn't matter in all the material stuff of this world. You see, not believing something is not an option to us, folks. Everybody is going to trust something in life. And it's a whole lot easier to trust in God that he really is there. And it's a whole lot easier to say, wow, I look inside of me and I am broken. 
I am selfish. I am prejudiced. I am a liar. I am a thief. I am lustful. I am greedy. I am all of this stuff. I'm that car, and I can't fix it. I guess I need a redeemer. And Jesus is the only one that makes sense to trust because he loves us, and he died for us. He's qualified. He's trustworthy. He has the character, the competency, and the care. And if you've never taken that step to where you have consciously put your trust in Jesus Christ to go all in with him, then I urge you today to do that. If you've never, much like picking up the phone or emailing or however you work it with your mechanic, text them or whatever, like, I need to get my car in to get it fixed. If you've never taken that step to say, Jesus, my soul is broken. It needs to be fixed. Would you save me and forgive me because you died for me? It's as simple as putting your trust in him and nothing else, not in yourself, not in religion, not in trying to cover and be good enough, but to trust him to save you. And if you've already done that and God's not speaking to your soul about that this morning, then I want to encourage you as you talk with other people around you, Help them to understand that not believing is really not an option. Everybody believes in something. Either a person believes they're not a sinner and they're really basically a good person, or they believe just without the ability to prove that God doesn't exist, or they believe somehow something else is going to fix them besides Jesus, but they're believing in something about their soul. Everybody is. So help them to consider that Jesus is the only one that makes sense in this whole crazy, messed up world in which we live. So this Palm Sunday, I want us to celebrate and be grateful that Jesus redeemed us. If you are not redeemed, you haven't taken that step of faith, do that today. If you have in the past, thank God for that and enjoy the love and the care and the protection he's given for you and don't act like you're, don't allow the feelings that you've been abandoned or not loved or somehow that he's forgotten you. That's all He cares for you, and He is taking care of you, and we should be excited and live within that. And in turn, we ought to offer that to those around us, that we have a Redeemer, the Lord Jesus, who singularly alone is qualified for that. So I don't know how God has spoken into your heart this morning and how this hits home to you, but whatever God has been speaking to you about, talking to you about, I'm going to urge you to respond today. Respond to that. If it's simply having a heart of gratitude, we've seen two incredible videos today to reflect, help us reflect on that, then spend time on that this week. Spend time on that today. And maybe God wants to help you to talk to somebody else who struggles to believe in the existence of God or struggles with a concept of faith that somehow it's religious. Trust is a common currency of life. We trust all kinds of people every day. It's a normal thing. It is not a religious thing. It's a life thing. And when we really are being honest with our souls, it makes sense to trust Jesus. So maybe God will use you to help somebody else take that step too. But whatever God's spoken to you, respond to him today. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus who loved us and gave his life for us. Thank you, Father, for redemption. Thank you for the picture of Boaz, just in tangible form, just loving Ruth, 
taking care of business, stepping into the court. And unlike Boaz, our Lord Jesus stepped into court knowing he was going to be condemned. Boaz didn't face that, but our Lord Jesus did. He's uniquely qualified to deliver us from sins in ways that nobody else can. Father, I pray that you would help us and those around us to reflect clearly about our own failures and faults and sin. Lord, not to revel or roll around in them, not to rejoice in them, but, Father, to face the reality so that we in turn can more and more trust you and to realize the grace, the mercy that you give us through your Son, Jesus. Lord, help us to live in that world, I pray, and to be willing to face whatever we need to to enter into that world. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, guys. Life groups are not meeting this week. Oh, okay. We're not meeting this week, but the, you need, if you're, we're going to start life groups up back after Easter, so you can go onto the app and sign up for that, but we're not meeting this week. But this week, guys, think about somebody to invite Sunday. If it's chilly out, we're going for it. We're not expecting 70, all right? So wear a jacket, and if for, genuinely, if for whatever reason you're cold nature, bring a jacket. If it's too cold, it's okay. You can, you know, we'll, we, we record it, right? So we're streaming it, so you can watch it at home, but we're going for it. So have a great week, guys. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.